Good to see everybody today here, and good to have you online, those of you who are are checking in for us with us live and those who will watch later. We have a lot that check in online live, but we have a whole lot more that check in later, either through audio podcasts or through video podcasts, and so we're just grateful for each person that gets to take time to hear from God through his word. Um, his timing is always right whenever you're watching this or listening to it. So um, I'm just grateful uh, to be able to stand before you today and share from his word. So let's pray and, and let's dive in. Lord God, what a beautiful picture we just witnessed. Folks, young and old, who wait, want to make and did make their profession of faith public no matter the cost, now or later, they have proclaimed Jesus Christ as Lord of their life, not just Savior, but Lord. And in their obedience, they demonstrated their love for you. And Lord, we're just grateful that you uh, gave us a chance to witness that today. They understand that their faith is not something that they have because they were born into a particular family, though that impacted them greatly. They understand that it's a choice they make before God and before people. And so, Lord, I just thank you for giving them the courage. I thank you for giving them the faith. For it is by grace we are saved through faith. It's not of ourselves. It's a gift of God so that no one can boast. And so, Lord, if there's any boasting from your people, may it be in the cross of Christ that makes it possible for you and I, for us to know you. And, Lord, I thank you for that grace. And I pray that you'll help us continue to walk by grace through faith, knowing that that's the only way to really live. And we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. So we're continuing through uh, Revelation. Uh, We're in chapter 21 today. We're just going to do eight verses. And we are talking about this idea that the best is yet to come. So in January, our our fourth daughter will get married, Lord willing, four of four, four for four, and uh, we are excited about that for, for that daughter, um, but 33 years ago on another January, 1988, it would have been January 9th, just to be clear that I do remember my wedding day, um, there was a, a, an epic ice storm all across the southeast, the, mid- the Atlantic from Maine to Georgia. There was 10 inches of snow in Alabama, if you can imagine. The Midwest was frozen. It was bad. And it was a, not a snowstorm. It was an ice storm. And so that greatly impacted the number of people that could come to our wedding, not to mention a lot of other things. Um, we had, you know, weddings are stressful. Let's just, let's just be real, right? Uh, especially if it's your family and you're involved it's stressful. It's even more stressful when things aren't going like you planned. And weather is a big one of those things that nobody can control but affect, has great effect and impact. We went through the whole day, and of course we're still excited to, be, to get married and, and grateful, and we're pulling out that night. And there's a picture in our house um, of Anita and I sitting in my little 1983 silver Honda Civic with it's just totally trash. It looks like a grocery store blew up on it. And, and we're both peeking through the window, and we are both super, super excited. I mean, big smiles. We're still in our tux and dress, and we are just excited that <laughs> we're finally going to leave these people and go start and be married, right? 
Well, here's, here's what we were not thinking. We were not thinking, man, this is going to be the best day we've ever been married. This is it. This is as good as it gets. We did not say that. We did not think that. In fact, probably what we were thinking was, and it's only going to get better and better. And I think that we would still agree that, that it has gotten better and that the best is yet to come. Okay? And we have our first grandchild this year, so we're super stoked. We understand why grandparents are, are so all about their grandkids. We, we are starting to understand that. And, and my point here is that the whole theme of what we're looking at in the book of Revelation is that it truly is tr- that the best is yet to come for those who are in Christ Jesus. Truly. For those who believe. Testimonies today of folks who believe that God is trustworthy. And that's at the heart of every message that we share here is do I believe what God wrote down is he faithful is he trustworthy is he somebody I can count on because we're looking around and we're watching the news and we're looking at our country and we're going I don't see very many people I can count on at least not to do the right thing I can't trust my leaders I can't trust people in my family I can't trust my neighbors I can't not perfectly and so as we think about this today I want us to think about this idea and this is what's going to be so much fun to finish out the book of Revelation chapter 21 to today and next Sunday and then chapter 22 to finish out the Revelation to finish out the last book of the Bible is that we get to we get to engage our sanctified imaginations and imagine what it might be like what it will be like for those who are in Christ to be with Christ forever. So our bottom line, so the question we're answering today is what is the new heaven and the new earth and the new city? And the the bottom line for us today is that as we look forward to the new heaven and the new earth and the new cities, we look forward to those things, we will live in God's presence, we will experience his mercy, we will enjoy his pleasures, and we will be aware of his justice. All of those things forever. We'll live in his presence, we'll experience his mercy, we'll enjoy his pleasures, and we will be aware of his justice forever. So with that, I'm going to walk us through just a few of these verses, and what we're going to see in the first four verses is, is we're going to see a description. A description of the old, and then we're, it's going to move to the new, and in that new, God is going to give, make some statements about who he is and what he is doing and what he's going to do, okay? So we'll just walk through that together. And, and my challenge to you throughout all of this is to ask yourself the question, do I really believe the best is yet to come? And maybe you've never even thought about that before, okay? Well, that's still, it's a good question to ask. Do I believe that the best is yet to come? Let's, let's dive in. So the, the book of Revelation is called Revelation or Apocalypse because it is an unveiling, a revealing of truth, a revealing of future history, okay? And it started off at the very beginning, Jesus reveals himself as the risen Lord, the risen King of Kings, not just the King of Kings, but the risen King of Kings. That means he died and then lived to tell about it. Okay, and that's what he invites us to follow him. And then he talks to seven churches which were real and I believe existed in those days and that day, which would have been the first century, but also true for all churches. And so he challenged and he comforted and he encouraged churches. And then after that, we see the throne room of God and then we see God's judgments. And that just takes so much of Revelation where he unveils judgment after judgment after judgment. 
to try to help people understand, trust me, if you follow me and do life on my terms, okay, it's going to go a lot better than if you don't. And then we enter into the last phase, which is where we are now. And the last section is, is about the prostitute, which is Babylon and the ways of the world, the, the philosophies of the world, the governments of the world, the religions of the world. And then there's the king. And then there's the bride of Christ. And the bride is the church. It's, the, it's a, one of the many images of the church that describes the collective people of God those who have trusted and followed Jesus Christ. And so uh, that's where we are, and that's where we're going to be for, to the end. And so let's start, let's start looking at this a few verses at a time and see what God has to say for us today. John, who is the apostle, who is the last living apostle when this is written, and he's the one that's writing this down, he says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. In, in my Bible, that's in quotes because there's actually a new heaven and earth written in the Old Testament, which Gene just read out of Isaiah 65, and it's refer, referred to in other places. A new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth, that's this one, had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. Had passed away, past tense. So remember now, God sees what we see is a timeline and we're, we see ourselves as, you know, 2021 and there's history and there's future and we see time like this. God sees time like this. God sees time as a paper thin line in eternity that for him is all happening, is all now. As good as done or done because he's outside of time because he created time. And so he, when he speaks of something past that's in the future, he's saying two things. One is it's good as done and two, I've already seen it happen because he's so big, he's outside of that. And that's just amazing and awesome. But he also says, he talks about this new heaven and this new earth. So I was looking, uh, we were, I was trying to find at home my, an old iPhone. We have an old iPhone 4 at home somewhere. I, can't, I don't know where it is now. And it still works, but we don't use it because it's the old iPhone, right? It's an old iPhone 4, I think, or 4S or whatever. And I was going to hold it up and go, I don't use this anymore. It's just a paperweight. I mean, there's nothing here I can really, I mean, I could use it, but it would be, you know, it would not be very pleasurable. But then I have a, a newer iPhone. I have to say newer now because there's another new one, right? Every 10 minutes, there's a new one coming out. And so I have a new one. Why do I use this one? Because it's the new one. Okay. The old ways, the old heaven, the old earth will pass away. Okay. We're kind of attached to it right now because it's, as far as we're concerned, the new one. It's the best one. It's the only one. So we're enjoying it, but it will pass away. Now, what that means, we don't totally know. Some places in Scripture seem to hint at a total destruction and then replacements. Others seem to, to indicate a purifying and a, and a restoration. My dad and my brother and I used to restore 65 Mustangs, uh, convertibles. We do all kinds of years, but that, we were kind of right around those earliest ones, 64 and a half through 66. And we would get them and they would look like they wouldn't, some of them weren't drivable. They literally were towed to the house. Others we would drive and uh, it would jerk you, you know, just it was terrible. The clutch was out or whatever. And we would bring them and we would restore them and eventually sell them, which is kind of like selling puppies. It's never, um, you never love that unless you're the one that's paying the bills, which was my dad. But I hated to see him go because it was like potential car to drive. But we only got to drive them before they were restored. But they would look new. 
restored. They were working mechanically. The top would go down. They looked great with the bright colors and the new, the new leather and, and all of that that was going. And it was just a beautiful. God is going to restore all things under Christ. But it's going to be better than just an old Mustang that's got new paint. It's going to be better than it was when it was new because it's going to be new. This one's better than the old one. And while God makes, when, when God created, it was all very good. And yet, here we're going to have something that's going to be different. New, the future isn't going to look exactly like he started. Isn't that interesting? He's not creating a, it's not going to be like we're going to be back in the Garden of Eden. Now, I don't, I don't mean that there won't be garden. I don't know that the whole earth won't be the Garden of Eden restored. But there's going to be something that wasn't there originally. And that is there's going to be a city, at least one city, if not all cities. But they will be restored too or at least the one that comes down. That's the only one we see in scripture that's talked about is the, the city that comes down. I'm getting ready to read that. And it comes down from above, which tells you something right there, right? And next week, we'll spend more time talking about the city. But first of all, we want to see that this section is the oldest passed away, verses one through four. And the five through eight, the new has come. The new is here. And, and it's interesting, if you go back to 2 Corinthians five seventeen, where Paul is writing to the church in Corinth, he literally says, the old is gone, the new is here. And, he, and it's just, that's what we have to look forward to. So let's keep reading. So for the first heaven and the earth has passed away and there was no longer any sea. When I first read there's no longer any sea, I was kind of bummed, okay? Because I'm like, I like going to the beach. What's with that? That doesn't seem good. Now, let me, under, let me help you understand what they think about the sea. Okay, so remember, you always have to ask yourself the question, what did this mean in the days it was written to the original audience it was written to before we interpret, okay? So it can't mean today something it didn't mean then is what I'm trying to say. So in the first century, to a first century Christian, Jew or Gentile, to hear anything about the sea, they would have thought about things like, Job 41, where it describes Leviathan. Now, Leviathan's an old, ancient creature. Basically, I'd think of a sea dragon or a sea serpent. And then I have flashbacks to Prince of Spride, right? The, the screeching snake that's coming in. And, 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 but this massive sea serpent, okay? Now, we know that in the Bible, serpents and dragons are symbolic of just one, and that is the devil himself, Satan, okay? So, and the sea was considered a place of chaos and evil. If you remember in Revelation 13, when um, the angel's standing one foot on land and one foot in the, on the sea, and he pulls out the first beast, and that's the Antichrist, and he pulls out the second beast, and it's the false prophet from the sea. So the sea is not a friendly place to people back in that day. That doesn't mean that people didn't enjoy going to the shore, going to the beach, and enjoying the, the seashore, but out at sea, it was dangerous. And in school this week, we were talking about um, uh, how uh, Christopher Columbus sailed the ocean blue in 1492. And he, one of the things that he had to help the sailors overcome was their fear of the ocean, the sea, even though they were sailors. They were afraid the earth might be flat, they were afraid, no, it's not flat, by the way. I just, just, I know that online there's, it, the sea, they thought it might be flat. No, it's not. They thought there were sea monsters like Leviathan, right? Um, they thought if you got too close to the equator, the water would be boiling. And they were afraid of massive storms and whirlpools. And so they were very afraid to sail because the sea is this chaos of evil. And, and so that, that attitude prevailing even in the days of Columbus 
So um, I think we'll have bodies of water. I mean, the Bible describes the river of life flowing from the throne of God. And again, symbolism, but also think that there will be bodies of water. But there may not be a planet Earth, may not be three-fourths water. It may be three-fourths land. I don't know. All I know is it's going to be new and it's going to be better. Okay? Verse 2, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down. So we have a new heaven. Okay? When, I think heavens because the Bible talks about three heavens. The sky where the birds fly, outer space where the stars and comets fly, and then what we can't see and what we tend to think about when we think about heaven where God and the the angelic host reside. All of those will still be here or will come be renewed except for the one that doesn't need to be renewed, the one where God is. But he says a new heaven, a new earth for the first to pass away. Then he says, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. So obviously there's more symbolism here. We have a city that's considered beautiful like a bride for her husband, which remember that the bride of Christ, right, and Jesus is the groom and we're the bride, which is weird for us guys, I get that. But it's, it's, it's symbolism to say there's this covenantal relationship that God's creation has with God himself and that God created us not because he needed us but because he wanted to be with us. He wanted to share and give to others. And so he created our universe. He created us so that he could show us and let us experience his love up close and personal with him. And you're going to see that language throughout, that covenantal language, okay? Um, The closest thing we get to that is, is a good marriage, a good marriage where he is faithful, she is faithful, and even when he stumbles or she stumbles, the other is faithful. Why? Because that's the way God is to us. Even when we stumble, he is faithful. And that's, the, that's what that's about. That's the difference between covenant and a contract, right? Contract, you do your part, I'll do mine. If you don't, I'm out. 50-50, covenant is 100-100, okay? All right, so, and I heard a loud voice. So the bride's beautifully dressed coming for, for her husband, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, so remember the throne. We go back to the throne room, seeing God the Father st- sitting on the throne. Jesus Christ, his, the Son of God, is standing as a lamb who has been slain, but is standing and alive, picturing the cross and the resurrection. So we have God there at the throne, and this is only the second time we have a record of God the Father speaking in Revelation, and he says, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people. He will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. You hear the covenantal language, the relational language that's there? And he will, then this is what he's going to do. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning, or crying, or pain. No more pain. For the old order of things has passed away. We now have new. Okay? So those things that we are intimately familiar with, pain and suffering, tears of pain, tears of suffering, tears of mourning and grief, no more. So as you're trying to imagine a world without those things, right? It's hard to think what that would be like. But do you not have a part of you that craves that? Right? So, so when you're hungry, when you're hungry, right? I, I want something, I'm like really hungry. What's that about? Why does God make us so that we're hungry? He makes us hungry through our bodies so that we'll understand 
there's something that exists that satisfies that feeling, that craving called hunger. And when I eat, it satisfies that for a while. And when I'm thirsty, God gives us that so that we will realize and learn that there's something that exists that satisfies thirst. So I need to go drink so that that will be satisfied. And when we crave a world that is eternal, and when we crave a world where there's no more suffering and pain and corruption and injustice and all the rest, no war, no enemies, no evil, he gives us that craving because it exists. There's something that satisfies that. And he uses living water as a picture of that. And he'll say that here in a minute as we read further. So that first, the old is, is gone. Again, future history. The new is here. The new has come. Verse 5. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Okay? I am making everything new. He's doing it and he's going to continue to do it. And then he said, write this down. He's talking to John. Write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. And he's talking about the book of Revelation, but it's true for all of scripture. His words are trustworthy and true. We've said more than once, the book of Revelation isn't really anything new. It's just pulling from things we've already read in the Old Testament and maybe in the New, and it's it's re-reminding us of those things in the context of future history. And so we can trust his word, and he says, write it down. It just makes it easier for us to recall it, to remember it, to study it, and to understand it. Verse 6. He, that is God the Father, said to me, John, it is done. Again, this is about something in the future. It is done. And yet he's saying it as if it's done because it's for him as good as done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. Alpha is the first letter of the Koine Greek alphabet, which is what the New Testament was written in originally. And Omega is the last letter of that alphabet, beginning and the end. And then he refers back to this thirsty. To the thirsty I will give water without cost, from the, water, from the spring of water, of the water of life. And again, we'll see next, in, the, in two weeks, I think, might, it might be next week, where the, the river of life will flow from the throne of God and, and that brings eternal life and abundant life. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't want to live forever if it's not going to be awesome, okay? I don't want like, eternal life to be, yeah, it's okay. <laughs> that would really be a bummer, right? Yeah, so so he says, uh, to the thirsty I give water without cost. Now, what he means here is no cost to us, the recipient. There's no cost to you and me to receive this, okay? Uh, But there is two costs involved. One is the cost that made this possible, and that's the cross. That's Jesus suffering and dying on the cross. He paid a price we don't have to pay because he took our place. That's why we make such a big deal about the cross, that's why, we make such, that's why we sing songs about the blood of Christ. Oh, gross. Well, that gross blood is what saves you and me. It's kind of like when you get a blood transfusion because you need good blood or more blood, you don't go gross. You go, thank you, because I need it, okay? And that's, that's what we're talking about here. Spiritually, I need blood that brings me life, that cleanses me from the curse, the virus that is sin that came from, the, from, from Adam and Eve until today. 
Okay, so then he says, um, so without cost, verse seven, those who are victorious. Who would that be? Who is victorious? It would be those who are trusting and walking in a relationship with Jesus Christ. Those who know the Lord God through his son, Jesus Christ. And remember, God said to his, through Jesus, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So, you know, that kind of puts the kibosh on all those people who think, well, religions are all just different ways of getting to God. No, they're not because they don't go through Jesus. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. It's, it, you gotta come to God on his terms, right? I mean, he wrote the book, makes sense that we would do it his way, right? And uh, we don't deserve it, but he made it possible and he did it through his son, Jesus, okay? If all those other ways were any good, he wouldn't need to have had his son go through what his son went through. It wouldn't have been necessary. And to send his son to do that anyway, that would be not only pointless, that would be that would be pretty sorry to do. Those who are victorious, watch this, will inherit. Will inherit. Means you're gonna, you've got a windfall coming. Will inherit all this. What we read above, the things that are mentioned in Isaiah 65, and throughout scripture, all the rewards and blessings that come from being able to walk in abundant life forever. All of those things are ours in Christ Jesus. Those who are victorious will inherit all this and I will be their God and they will be my children. There's the first of the bottom line. We look forward to the new heaven and the new earth because we're gonna live in the presence of God, okay? Now that may not seem like a really big deal to you right now, but I want you to think about what that means. To live in the presence of God, and I don't mean like we live in the presence of God today. He, he resides in believers. I'm talking about there's no barrier to seeing him. There's no barrier to hearing his voice. Right now, it's all by faith. It's like, oh, did I hear him? Did I hear him right? I can't see him. I can only see the evidence that he's been at work, but I can't see him. And it's frustrating to us because the barriers are there. Those barriers are there because we live in the kingdom of darkness. Our world is still infected with sin. And so all of this is still real and, and, and affects our interaction with our creator. But he's going to take care of that once and for all. He's going to wipe it all away. The old will be gone the old things will pass away and the new has come. And so he, we will inherit all this. We will inherit the same inheritance that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the King of Kings, he will inherit. Because he says in Hebrews, I'm gonna share it with my brothers and sisters in Christ. That's generous. Amazing. I will be their God and they will be my children. But, so that's a promise he gives us here. But he also gives us a warning, Okay. So the promises for those who are in Christ, the warning for those who are not yet. Here's the warning, verse eight. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters and all liars, they will be consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. And we know from previous readings and other parts of scripture that the lake of fire is another word, phrase for hell. And here's what makes hell so bad. You are separated forever from the one who created you. Okay? Forever. You say, well, why is the punishment forever? Why isn't it just annihilation? Because we've sinned against an infinitely eternal holy God. And the only appropriate response 
must be eternal, right? Right in parenting, they always teach us, make sure that your discipline is appropriate level of punishment for the offense. You don't want to be over the top because that will, that will, um, that scars them, that hurts them in ways that um, actually work counter to what you're trying to accomplish. And if you under discipline, then there's no, there's no fear and there's no respect. And you want to discipline kind of right, kind of where it's appropriate. And our, our legal system is built that way. It doesn't always work that way, but it's supposed to work where the punishment fits the crime. Well, that's what we're talking about here. You and I deserve, okay, we deserve eternal punishment because our sin is eternally offensive to the creator who made us, who created us out of nothing, where we didn't exist. He created us and gave us existence to know and love and be loved. And we gave him the universal sign of get out of here. That's what we deserve. This is why I say we look forward to the new heaven and the new earth and the new city because we will live with him. We will live with God personally. We will experience his mercy. We will enjoy his pleasures and we will be aware of his justice. All of those things forever. We'll be aware of his justice because this lake of fire is the only place in all of creation where God will not be but it will be visible and it will be a reminder that God takes sin seriously and that he judges those who do not come to him on his terms, but also it will remind us to experiencing his mercy is an, it's an ongoing reminder. We're not there, not because we were good, but because God is good and he made a way for us to get back to him, to be reconciled to him. Even though he was faithful in that covenant relationship, we were not and he remained faithful. He did not walk away because we did. He, he pulls us back. And their testimonies in the baptistry are a recognition at some level that I'm loved and beloved, though I don't deserve that. And so I'm grateful, or should be. As I, and to the extent that I understand that, I will be grateful and I will live differently. And when I realize that it's not just about that and I'm done, it's, that's the beginning of a journey the rest of my life together, right? It's like the, the wedding day is not the best day of your marriage. I hope, I hope that's not the best it gets. I hope it's better and better and better. I realize that's not always true, but in Christ it is. The wedding between Jesus the groom and the body of the bride of Christ comes together and the best is yet to come. It gets better and better. Imagine that. Try to imagine, okay, what you think would be the best heavenly existence possible and realize that you're not even scratching the surface. You're settling for so much less. But there's a warning right below the promise that says, but if you're going to try, if you think that God's just going to say, hey, just everybody, just come on in. I'm sorry, I shouldn't have made all that sin stuff a big issue. It's not a big deal, you know, just cost my son his life, just cost them to be tortured and, and abused and, and by his own creation, no big deal. God would not do that. If God did that, he would be like a judge looking at a murderer who had been caught on video murdering children and he goes, you know, since you said you're sorry, okay, we'll give you another chance. You're free to go, right? We would not stand for that. We would say, corrupt judge, get him out, put him in jail. And if God just lets people in, 
even though we've lived the way we've lived, he's, he's even worse because he's on a cosmic level doing the same thing. God is not like that. He is holy, holy, holy. And if you don't, if you don't get holy, then you need to think someone who has never had an unwholesome thought, never spoken an inappropriate word, never performed an action that is wrong, in fact, never even not done something that was right when it should have been done right. All of those things. So the standard is sky high. None of us can make it. It is only by the mercy of God that he makes it so that we can. And how is that? Jesus takes our place. So when God looks at us and we stand before him in heaven and he sees us with our, remember last week, the stack of the record books of all that we've ever said, thought, and done? It's all gonna be right there before God and all creation. Not only will he see it, everybody else will see it too. The only reason we don't have to pay the price for that is because Jesus says, I already did that and the book of life is on top and covers my sin and I receive forgiveness. No, I don't deserve that. Neither do you. Never, not even a little bit. And that's why Jesus, but God makes it possible for us through his son, Jesus. Because why? Because he is a merciful God. He is holy. He will judge sin, but he extends mercy to some who trust him. And I don't know how he sorts that out. And it doesn't matter to me so much as long as I tell people and just assume that he's going to invite you to. And if your heart is stirred, he's inviting you even now. And he's saying, this mercy is available to you too. Okay, I can't talk you into it. It wouldn't be real if I did. But if he's tapping on your heart, he's saying, I pick you. I can remember in grade school not being a very athletic kid and being on the playground when they're picking teams. And, you know, I know what it's like to be near the end. Okay. And uh, I remember one time when one of my really good friends, he was, he was the guy that was always picked first. And he picked me first. And I'm like, I cannot believe he just did that. That was awesome. He picked me. We're going to lose. Oh, no, no. <laughs> but but that, that thought went out really quickly. Why? Because he picked me. And I knew why. And see, he picked me because he liked me. He wanted to show some mercy, <laughs> I guess. God picks you for mercy too. And he likes you and loves you too. He wants you to be a part. But he won't make you. And it's not automatic. It's available, but it's not automatic. And so my prayer is that you will believe. So our, our bottom line is this. We look forward to the new heaven, the new earth, the new city, because we'll live in God's presence, we'll enjoy, experience his mercy, we'll enjoy his pleasures, and we'll be aware of his justice forever. Do you believe that the best is yet to come? Do you really? Are you living today as if it were true? Because don't you think it impacts the way people live if they really believe the best is yet to come? This is how people can stand and not deny Christ and be martyred for their faith. And even though they are afraid, they're not going to give it, they're not going to turn it over to someone else. They're not going to say, I, I, I'm not a Christian anymore. They're not going to give in to that because they know there's something better that awaits. And it's something that's good and meaningful and righteous. It's not just, it's not a harem. It's not some just gross future that somebody dreamed up to try to get people to blow themselves up. It's so much more than that. So much more. Let's pray.
Lord God, as we think about this for ourselves, some of us can say with confidence, I know the Lord and he knows me and I am so grateful that the best is yet to come. But are we living, God help us to ask ourselves the question, are we living like we believe that? Because that's the real proof that that's what we believe. It's based on what we do, not what we say. And yes, Lord, we confess that we are oftentimes hypocritical about it. But Lord, the pattern of our life is what really tells the tale. I pray that we would consider that. And Lord, for those who've not trusted you yet, they do not they do not live as if you were Lord of their lives yet. They do not believe that there's a future worth living for yet. I pray, God, that you would open their eyes and their ears to the truth and that you give them the courage to face that truth and recognize that we are sinners in need of a Savior and that apart from your mercy, we have no hope. It's as clear and straightforward as that. You've made that clear to us through your word. It has been testified to for 2,000 plus years a third of the planet at least pretends, at least confesses that they're Christian. And it started with a handful of people in an upper room who believed. Lord, do we, Lord, help us in our unbelief and help us to help our neighbors and theirs. We ask it in Jesus' name, amen.